Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September 1st, 2019 in connection with Vice President Pence's visit to Warsaw and a meeting with President Zelensky. Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. What do we have up for today, Alex? Today we're going to break down the first hearings into the impeachment probe of Donald Trump. In this first episode, we'll hear from Congressman John Ratcliffe, Devin Nunes, and Jim Jordan as they attempt to shape the narrative into President Trump's actions around Ukraine and Joe Biden. But first, we're going to listen to a press conference where Donald Trump was asked his thoughts about the impeachment inquiry from a reporter representing the right-leaning One America News Network. And remember, if you haven't checked out our Patreon page recently, we are posting special content for subscribers of the podcast. Make sure to support the show, the link is in the show notes, and get all of that exclusive content that you'll soon have access to. Now let's listen to the first clip. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Um, first, I'd like to just start out getting your general reaction today to the impeachment hearings on the Hill. Do you feel that Democrats made their case, and how did you feel about the Republican performance? Are you talking about the witch hunt? Is that what you mean? Is that what you're talking about? I, I hear it's a joke. I haven't watched... I haven't watched for one minute because I've been with the president, which is much more important as far as I'm concerned. Uh, This is a sham and uh, shouldn't be allowed. It was a uh, situation that was caused by people that shouldn't have allowed it to happen. I want to find out who is the whistleblower. And because the whistleblower gave a lot of very incorrect information, including my call with the president of Ukraine, which was a perfect call and highly appropriate. And he wrote something that was much different than the fact. Uh, I want to find out why the IG, why would he have presented that when, in fact, all he had to do is check the call itself and he would have seen it. I'm going to be releasing, I think, on Thursday, a second call, which actually was the first of the two. And you'll make a determination as to what you think there. Uh, But I've heard just a report. They said it's uh, all third-hand information. Nothing direct at all. It can't be direct because I never said it. And all they have to do is look very, very simply at the transcript. If you read the transcript, this was analyzed by great lawyers. Uh, This was analyzed by Greg Jarrett. It was analyzed by Mark Levin. It was analyzed by everybody. They said this statement that I made, the whole uh, call that I made with the president of Ukraine was a perfect one. So... uh, that this country gets put through that, that we have to waste this gentleman's time by even thinking about it, talking about it. I'd much rather focus on peace in the Middle East. And uh, I, hear that it's, uh, I hear that it's a hoax, and it's being played as a hoax. 
That's what I hear. But you'll have to tell me. Go ahead. Wow. So right from the very beginning, we hear Trump starting to label the impeachment inquiry as a witch hunt, a hoax, a sham, and it shouldn't be allowed. And what you're hearing here is really his very direct public idea of how everything that the Democrats are doing is wrong, and he's doing it in Trump style, which is to just flat out deny and to blame and to say that it didn't happen. There's no way that it could happen. And he labels his call as it's a perfect call. It's a perfect call. It was totally appropriate. And I have to find out who the whistleblower is. And noticing there how he has that implied threat there where he's putting in where if you do a similar thing as the whistleblower, I'm going to find out who you are too and we're going to you know, do something really bad to you. So he's kind of threatening his people there as well um, right in this um, inquiry. Yeah, and one thing that you know Trump does really often is he always frames this thing as though uh, these are other people's words when they're really his opinion. And so what he's doing here is he keeps on referring to, you know, I hear, I haven't watched, I watched it for a minute, I've heard from other people, I'm hearing it's a joke. I, I don't know, but I'm just hearing from other people. He says things like this in order to, you know, add credence or make it to disarm you from, you know, taking his opinion from himself. And he almost plays as though it's another person that actually said it to him. We don't know if this is true or not. There's no way to prove it. But, um, you know, what it does there in the mind, it's like, you know, if you say, you know, a wise man once said, you know, X, Y, and Z. Well, who asked, like, who said that? Me just now. Uh, that's what President Trump essentially does. Um, and so it's a way for, you know, for somebody to um, really believe what he has to say a little bit more. The other thing, it's like, you know, sort of Taylor said, he uses a lot of loaded language in here to, you know, uh, every single thing is attached with an adjective that, you know, I, you know, I hear it's a hoax. This whole thing's a sham. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about the witch hunt. What do you mean? You're talking about the, the, the witch hunt. He's almost faking as though he's surprised and then reframing it. By adding in his, you know, a adjectives and he renames things um, to sort of reframe it all into sort of a negative light. And so, you know, this is uh, this is really like the best of Trump right here. Um, I love his angry press conferences. Yeah, he really gets into this kind of alternate reality that he wants everyone to believe. And when he believes it completely, it's, it's a witch hunt. It's a hoax. It's a sham. When he believes it completely, then... He expects for everyone else to believe it. And you notice this idea here that they say about the second transcript, which is a neat little PR thing they're doing, which is, OK, you have the transcript of the call in July that was actually something that is contentious, which was actually the thing that was really launching this impeachment probe. But then they're going to be releasing another call where Trump didn't say any of that. And they're saying, well, that's great, but. Now we're going to be releasing this other call. So think about what they're doing here, which is that he's saying that every time we talk about the call, which call are we saying? Well, he's going to point to the one that was earlier on in the year where he didn't, you know, ask of these other things or, you know, at least that's what the implication is. He's going to be going to this other call. So it's kind of like, don't look over here. 
look over at this place and pay attention to what's to what's happening here. So this is, you know, something really interesting. He said, you know, this is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing this and this and this, but you'll have to make up your own mind on that. And of course, what is the OAN reporter going to make up her mind on? Well, pretty much what what he has just said. Now, in this next clip here, we're going to be listening to a point where Devin Nunez and John Ratcliffe start to argue with Adam Schiff right in the middle of this impeachment hearing. And they do it in this very formal, congressional type of language of point of order this and point of order that. And it's interesting to hear how they start to shape the narrative just through objecting to how the proceeding is being concluded. So let's take a listen to this clip. The time is with uh, Mr. Uh, with Minority Counsel. Uh, Mr. Ratcliffe. Chairman, um, I sat here through the first 45 minutes and literally had an objection to almost the foundation of every question that Mr. Goldman asked regarding facts not in evidence, leading. But House Resolution 660 does not say that we, under, we are under the federal rules of evidence. If it is your position that I should be asserting objections to questions that violate the federal rules of evidence, let me know now, because this hearing is going to change significantly. As I said, Mr. Radcliffe, I will allow the question. I think the gentleman has a different question uh, about the rules. So what are the rules that are going to govern this? Does the ranking member seek recognition? I'm, I'm asking, I'm yielding you for a question to the question I just asked you for what purpose do you seek recognition to answer Mr. Ratcliffe's question I have answered it you may no, resume your question respectfully Mr. Chairman um, you haven't answered my question whether or not I should be asserting assumes facts not in evidence or leading uh, objections to questions that are posed from this point forward that's my question Mr. Ratcliffe I'll say once again I'm not objecting to the question but I am instructing the witness that they should not presume questions from the majority or the minority that may represent facts not in evidence uh, are correct. Um, this is, I have, I have uh, answered the question. We will resume the questioning and resume the clock. Man, so right here we've got a lot of sort of parliamentary maneuvering. Uh, it's, it's almost a way for the Democrats to use their, you know, rulemaking authority and their decision-making power here to run the committee to wield that in a way that gives them the advantage. And meanwhile, the Republicans are trying to, you know, get clarification and, and weasel their way through the hearing um, when they don't have any power. And so their objective here is to try to, you know, uh, wrestle away a little bit of, of power and a little bit of the, um, uh, the ability to question um, and, uh, and play on their own rules and uh, and in order to do that, they have to know the parliamentary rules and the proper process. And uh, here we just have, you know, uh, a shift just refusing to clarify and go into any detail and give them any slack on this. And uh, he's basically using that parliamentary procedure to um, to to stymie them. And you can sort of see that frustration. They're all acting out as though they're they're being very polite and orderly. Yeah, it's interesting how Ratcliffe and then Nunez are coming in here and they have this idea of being able to shape the ideas in everyone's mind through the objection. So what 
Ratcliffe is saying here is, you know, point of order, point of order. Okay, you know, should you tell me about facts, not in evidence, this and this and that. And then Ratcliffe kind of thread and shift there. He says, you know, if this is true, then let me know, because this hearing is going to change significantly. And what is he saying there? He's kind of being that underdog who's saying that, well, if you don't do that, then we're going to start to play hardball. And, you know, you don't want for us to play hardball. Now, the witness, you know, William Taylor is sitting there and he's just kind of throwing up his arms because he has to wait for them to figure out, you know, what it is. And, you know, does he listen to kind of the judge in this case? It's not a courtroom, but Adam Schiff kind of does preside over it in a similar way as a judge might. And does he listen to that person or does he listen to the others as they are creating this? And what we're going to hear is some of the Republican members who are able to, especially with William Taylor, not so much with Kent, not so much with George Kent, George Kent, but especially with William Taylor to kind of get him to agree with some of their ideas here about how the whole thing should be conducted. But we notice here how Ratcliffe starts it off by saying, you know, I sat here for 45 minutes and I literally had an objection to every one of these things, you know, that were said. And so the subtext there is, hey, this isn't fair. This is not a fair play. And so you need to correct that. And so it's a little interesting interchange where we hear this um, debate happening about what are the rules and how should it, you know, be conducted. Now, in this next clip, we're going to be listening to quite a interesting exchange here between William Taylor, the ambassador to Ukraine, and Jim Jordan, who is going to be one of the more fiery members of the House. And, you know, we have heard from Jim Jordan here in the past. We've listened to a lot of what he has done. And this was a particular gem here of how he kind of led the day with his way of speaking in this particular um, eight minutes of questioning that we're going to hear here. So I want you to just listen to this, take it through, see if you can, as you're listening to it, identify the persuasive devices that are occurring. And then Alex and I are going to break it down and really tell you about this, the multitude of different things that Jim Jordan is doing here to steer and shake William Taylor off balance and then ultimately to create a great rapport with him to also influence everyone else who is watching and the public narrative about the whole thing. So let's go ahead and take a listen to this clip of Jim Jordan, and we'll let you know what we think. Thank the gentleman for yielding. Ambassador Taylor, thank you for being here. Um, AIDS held up on July 18th, is that right? That's when I first heard about it, uh, Mr. And then, it's, and then it's released, Ambassador Taylor, on September 11th. And we know that from your deposition, in those 55 days that aid is delayed, you met with President Zelensky three times. The first one was July 26th, the day after the famous call now between President Trump and President Zelensky. President Zelensky meets with you, Ambassador Volker, and Ambassador Sondland. And again, according to your deposition and your testimony, there was no linkage of security assistance dollars to investigating Burisma or the Bidens. Second meeting is August 27th. Again, in this 55-day time frame, second meeting is August 27th. President Zelensky meets with you and Ambassador Bolton and others. And again, there's no linkage of dollars, security assistant dollars, to an investigation of the Bidens. And then, of course, the third meeting is September 5th. President Zelensky meets with you 
and Senators Johnson and Murphy. And once again, there was no linkage of security assistance dollars to an investigation of Burisma or the Bidens. Three meetings with the president of Ukraine, the new president, and no linkage. That's accurate? Ms. Jordan, it's certainly accurate on the first two, uh, first two meetings, because to my knowledge, uh, the Ukrainians were not aware of the hold on assistance until, until the 29th of August. So the political article. The political article. Um, the, thir the third meeting that you mentioned with the senators, Senators yep. Murphy and Senator Johnson, um, there was discussion of the security assistance, but... No uh, linkage. But there was, not, there was not discussion of linkage. Three meetings face-to-face -face with President Zelensky, no linkage. Yet, in your deposition, you said this, and you said it again the first hour of the majority. My clear understanding was security assistance money would not come until President Zelensky committed to pursue the investigation. My clear understanding was they weren't going to get the money until President Zelensky committed to pursue the investigations. Now, with all due respect, Ambassador, your clear understanding was obviously wrong because it didn't happen. President Zelensky didn't announce he was going to investigate Burisma or the Bidens. He didn't do a press conference and say, I'm going to investigate the Bidens. We're going to investigate Burisma. He didn't tweet about it. And you just told the ranking member he didn't do the CNN interview and announce he's going to investigate Burisma or the Bidens. So three face-to-face -face meetings, it doesn't come up. No linkage whatsoever. President Zelensky doesn't announce it before the aid is released on the 11th. And yet you said you have a clear understanding that those two things were going to happen. The money was going to get released, but not until there was an investigation. And that, in fact, didn't happen. So what I'm wondering is, where did you get this clear understanding? As I testified, Mr. Jordan, uh, this came from Ambassador Sondland. Well, can you uh, hold one second, Ambassador? I'm going I'm to bring you a piece of paper from Ambassador Sondland's statement. Very good. And you can take a look at this. Go ahead, though. I want to let you finish. So, Mr. Jordan, should I read this? Or? No, no. I, no. You, I just want you to have it because I'm going to read it. Oh, very good. Very good. Very yeah, good. but I want you to go ahead and finish. You said, Ambassador, you got this from Ambassador Sondland. Uh, that is correct. Um, that um, Ambassador Sondland also said that he talked to President Zelensky and Mr. Yermak and had told them that although this was not a quid pro quo, if President Zelensky did not clear things up in public, we would be at a stalemate. That was, the, that was one point. Um, it was also uh, the case. Mr. Morrison that, talked to you, right? No. Uh, what I was going to say is Ambassador Sondland also told me that he recognized that it was a mistake to have told the Ukrainians that only the meeting with the uh, president in the, in the Oval Office was held up on the, uh, in order to get these investigations. No, it was not just the beating, it was also the security system. That is, everything was. So those two, those okay. two discussions. No, I understand. Uh, okay. All right, so again, just to, just to recap, you had three meetings with President Zelensky, no linkage in those three meetings came up. Ambassador Zelensky didn't announce that he was going to do any investigation of the Bidens or Burismas before the aid was released. He didn't do a tweet, didn't do anything President. on CNN, didn't do any of that. President Zelensky, excuse me. Right, right. Um, and then what you have in front of you is an addendum that Mr. Sondland made to his testimony that we got a couple weeks ago. It says, Declaration of Ambassador Gordon Sondland. I, Gordon Sondland, do hereby swear and affirm as follows. I want you to look at point number two, bullet point number two, second sentence. 
Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmack on September 1, 2019 in connection with Vice President Pence's visit to Warsaw and a meeting with President Zelensky. Now, this is his clarification. Let me read it one more time. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September 1, 2019 in connection with Vice President Pence's visit to Warsaw and a meeting with President Zelensky. We got six people having four conversations in one sentence, and you just told me this is where you got your clear understanding. Which, I, I mean, even though you had three opportunities with President Zelensky for him to tell you, you know what? We're going to do these investigations to get the aid. Didn't tell you three different times. Never makes an announcement. Never tweets about it. Never does a CNN interview. Ambassador, you weren't on the call, were you? The president, you didn't listen on President Trump's call and President Zelensky's call? I did not. You've never talked with Chief of Staff Mulvaney? I never did. You never met the president? That's correct. You had three meetings again with Zelensky and it didn't come up. And two of those they had never heard about as far as I know. And president so there was Zelensky, no reason for and it President Zelensky never made an announcement. This, this is what I can't believe. And you're their star witness. You're their first witness. Mr. You're the Jordan. guy. You're the guy based on this, based on, I mean, I've seen, I've seen church prayer chains that are easier to understand than this. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told, now again, this is, I hereby swear and affirm from Gordon Sondland. Ambassador Taylor recalls that Mr. Morrison told Ambassador Taylor that I told Mr. Morrison that I conveyed this message to Mr. Yarmouk on September 1st, 20. This all happens, by the way. This all happens, by the way, in Warsaw, where Vice President Pence meets with President Zelensky. And guess Mr. what? Taylor, they didn't talk about any linkage either. Time the gentleman's expired. Ambassador Taylor, would you like to respond? The only response, uh, I have two responses, uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you, and Mr. Mr. Jordan. Glad to take those questions. Let me just say um, that I don't consider myself a star witness for anything. They do. You don't. No, uh, I don't. I, I'm just, I'm responding to, I'm responding Mr. to your Jordan, question. Don't interrupt the witness. Um, as I, I, I think I was clear about, I'm not here to take one side or the other or to advocate any particular outcome. So let me just re restate that. Second thing is that uh, my understanding is only coming from people that I talk to. We got and that. I, uh, we got that. Um, and um, I think this clarification uh, from, Mr., from Ambassador Sondland um, was because he said he didn't remember this in, the, in, in his first deposition. So he, he wanted to kind of clarify. But I think, Mr. Jordan, it, I, the way I read this, he remembers it the same way I do. Yeah, and it's real clear, right? It's thank, very clear thank to you. me. Thank you, Ambassador Taylor. Wow. So here we hear Jim Jordan questioning Ambassador Taylor, and he does it in rapid fire. So that's the first thing that you want to notice here about what makes this so persuasive is the rate of speech. People who talk quickly are perceived to be quicker, smarter. They're perceived to have a better sense of the thing in which they're saying. However, it doesn't necessarily mean that. They're just speaking quickly. And so if you notice the difference between the person right before Jordan and when Jordan starts speaking, Jordan immediately turns up this fire of a pace and he starts to speak quicker and higher than others. He's almost yelling and shouting and he's screaming in this way of let's get down to business. And then the witnesses have to match their energy to his because he's asking in such rapid fire. Now, you know, they could slow down, but then they might perceive to be less credible because they're not answering in the same way the question was asked. And what it does is when they speed up, they're much more susceptible to persuasion. They're much more susceptible to hearing things that might not exactly be true. 
And then we hear him getting into a set of repetition and, you know, a deductive fallacy, a formal fallacy. He talks about this idea of from the meeting to the point where the aid was dispensed, there was this 55 days where the aid was delayed. And so during that 55 days, now keep in mind, this is the premise of everything that he asks um, Ambassador Taylor from this point. He says the first meeting was this. The second meeting was this. And then in between that, Taylor is confirming and he says there's no linkage of security assistance dollars to the investigations of Burisma or the Bidens. And all the time that Taylor then says, yes, 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 yes. And then Jordan does this nice little summation there where he says three meetings face to face with President Zelensky, no linkage yet this and this and this happened. And he really brings up that kind of outrage about what is what is happening now Notice how he kind of slips that in. Now, Ambassador Taylor has to answer the question, but actually, I think he's really persuaded by the way that Jim Jordan is going about this. He is persuaded in such a way that he is willing to say something that is a technically correct answer, but he doesn't really elaborate on it. And because of that, everyone listening, the American people can't necessarily hear everything that is going on. And one of the most powerful things within persuasion that you can do is you take someone's very core held belief, you take something that they have relied upon to be true, and they really believe it to be true, and then you prove it wrong. Now, as soon as you prove it wrong, you are then an expert in their mind, and not just about that particular area because, hey, if you proved that wrong, what else can you prove wrong? So notice how Jordan here says, with respect, your clear understanding was obviously wrong. And at that time, Ambassador Taylor's just smiling. He's looking up at Jordan like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get you back. But at the same time, he's buying a little bit into Jordan's frame here that he has, that he is setting. And you know, the other thing that you, you notice here is that Jordan keeps interrupting him. So what this is, is this is overload. So we talk about this as a hypnotic induction, overloading a person's ability to make sense of things. And Jordan is doing this so well here, he keeps overloading him and he keeps interrupting him. So Ambassador Taylor tries to talk, you know, he says, um, you know, it was also the case. And then um, Jordan interrupts him and said, "Um, Mr. Morrison talked to you, right? And Ambassador Taylor says no, but the point is is that Jordan has now interrupted his idea. And then Ambassador Taylor starts to explain what he's talking about. He says, hey, hold on, hold on, I'm going to give you this transcript. And what is the ambassador supposed to say? He's not allowed to keep talking because now he's waiting for the transcript. But he has interrupted his pattern of thinking. He has interrupted the stream of consciousness that was going on. So for him to get back to the place that he was, or even to remember everything that Jim Jordan just said in that very rapid fire way becomes now harder because he was interrupted. And so that's that's some of what we hear here, you know, in this very persuasive clip. Yeah, and this this is the reason why Jim Jordan is so frequently the star of our episodes. He has this way of, you know, uh, being a showman and really grandstanding 
Um, but also there's some substance behind it. He has a, a very uh, clever tact to the questions that he asks and the way that he says things to almost confuse the listener or conflate certain um, facts so that it all comes together in the exact way that he's trying to frame it. So here, like Taylor was talking about, you know, he does this again and again throughout the hearing where he's trying to build this narrative that the entire hearing is, and the impeachment inquiry and all of that is built around um, this, uh, this hearsay that nobody who actually talked to the president and was familiar with the president's thinking was, uh, you know, was called to testify and that the only evidence that exists is this, you know, he talked to him who talked to him who talked to him who talked to them. And that's where this whole impeachment hearing came from. Um, he lists this off in rapid fire like Taylor talked about and then ends it with his conclusion. And he does that time and time again where he does that rapid fire talking followed by his conclusion and almost to the point where you don't have time to question what he's talking about. You can either accept what he's saying or you cannot accept what he's saying um, and then move on. Uh, and he does that so frequently. And yes, like Taylor said, if I was somebody who didn't know a whole lot of politics and I was just listening to all of this, I'd say, you know what? This guy kind of sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Maybe there are two sides to this whole story. And it plants that doubt inside of your mind. Now, when we get to throwing the ambassador off, um, that's, you know, he does that sort of that bait and switch almost uh, uh, there where he is, um, you know, he asks about those 55 days and that, uh, you know, the ambassador had that clear understanding. But the facts of the matter here are that, you know, the ambassador could have had a clear understanding that there was a quid pro quo. But because, as Jim Jordan says, that quid pro quo was never fulfilled, Jordan is saying that, therefore, uh, the ambassador's understanding was wrong, which is not necessarily true. The ambassador could have that understanding, and then the president changes his mind, maybe when all of uh, the details about it come out into the public, and then never follows through on withholding the aid, that doesn't mean that there wasn't an intention all along. But Jim Jordan conflates this, and you don't really have time to sit down and contemplate, oh, what are what's the timeline here? How does this all come together? What is really going on here? You don't have time to ask all of those questions, especially if you're not an expert in what's already happened. And Jim Jordan is sort of allowed to get away with it. Um, because there's nobody cross-examining Jim Jordan. It's just Jim Jordan's time to ask questions to the ambassador, and the ambassador can't really refute that, because as Taylor had talked about, he's immediately distracted with other things. Um, and so, you know, it's really clever, and this is why we spend so much time on Jim Jordan, um, and he's going to have uh, a starring role in this impeachment inquiry going forward. Absolutely, and you know, there's one other thing that I wanted to point your attention to here and this is a some people would call it a sales device it is a way of persuading a, a person and it's what's known as a yes set and in 
Um, neurolinguistics, they might call it pacing and leading. And so what is that exactly? Well, remember that a pacing statement is saying something that in that person's world is true or something that they would agree upon. Um, so, you know, you're listening to this right now. Yes. And you've heard, you know, as Jim Jordan has been talking here and you've heard our analysis about this. See, these are all things, for example, as you're listening to this that are true. These are all pacing statements. A leading statement would be, and because you've been doing this, this is also what's true. So it's pacing and leading. In sales, they call it a yes set. So it's the person who you go to the car lot and they say, so you're looking for a car and you'd like something reliable and you want something that would be safe for your family. And you'd also like something that has enough power so that you're going to be able to effectively apply that safety. And because of that, you want to go and look at this car. And, you know, if they had just said go and look at this car, it would be less effective but because they loaded it up as the premise, 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 conclusion, now that conclusion appears to be, but is not necessarily, supported by the premises. So we hear Jim Jordan doing this um, here toward the end. He says it like this. He says, Ambassador, you weren't all on the call, were you? Ambassador Taylor says, no. You've never talked with the chief of staff, Mulvaney? No. You've never met the president? No. You had three meetings with Zelensky and it didn't come up. That's true. And President Zelensky never made an announcement. And so notice that is five different statements that are all together. Now, those five different statements put together can seem to have a particular effect. And then Jim Jordan just shifts his tone completely and he says, this is what I can't believe. And you're their star witness. So he puts that idea in and you're their star witness was the implication. All of these things that I just said are true. You can't possibly be any authority on this because of all the things I just said. And that makes this true. And then you hear actually here Ambassador Taylor starting to smile and almost agreeing with Jim Jordan. Does he agree with him because what Jordan is saying is actually correct and right? Not necessarily. He agrees with him because he just set it up with a tremendous amount of pacing statements, an amazing yes set there. And you, you hear that wasn't the only time that Jordan did it. He did it multiple times throughout this sequence. And so that's something to listen for is when a person starts to bring all those pacing statements together and then links it, boom, here's the conclusion, here's what that means. And we do hear him using that here very effectively. All right. I think that's about all the time we've got for today. Head on over to our Patreon page again, like we said at the beginning, that is where you can get all of that exclusive content that all of our subscribers know and love. And if you love the show and you want to make sure other people can listen along, head on over to iTunes, be sure to rate and review us. And we're going to have even more of Jim Jordan and the Republicans, along with some Democrats, next week in part two. Talk to you then.